0: Hi there, everyone, and welcome back to Hits 21, where me, Rob, me, Andy, and me, Lizzie, all look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century, from January 2000 right through to the present day, If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us over on Twitter. We are at Hits21UK. That is at Hits21UK. And you can email us too. Just send it on over to Hits21Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us again. You find us taking our first step into the year 2007. This week, we will be covering the period between the 1st of January and the 17th of March new beginnings. We didn't have a poll last week because it was just Leona, so it is time to press on with this week's episode and as always it is time for some news headlines from around the time the songs we're covering in this episode were at number one in the UK. Two people are killed and 36 people are injured when a National Express coach travelling from London to Aberdeen crashes near Heathrow Airport. Meanwhile two helicopters collide in mid-air in Shropshire and that killed one person and injured two others. Nine people are
1: killed and several more are injured as Cyclone Kirill hits the UK bringing torrential rains and gale force winds. Meanwhile the News of the World's Royal Editor Clive Goodman is jailed for four months after pleading guilty to phone hacking charges.
2: And across the UK thousands of cars are damaged after Tesco and Morrison supply faulty petrol containing silicon. Meanwhile, skywatchers everywhere are treated to the first total lunar eclipse in almost half a decade. The films to hit the top
0: of the UK box office during this period were as follows. Night at the Museum for one more week after last year. The Pursuit of Happiness for one week. Rocky Balboa for two weeks. Dreamgirls for one week. Music and lyrics for one week. Hot Fuzz for three weeks. And then Norbit for two weeks. And amid her custody battle with Kevin Federline, this is the point where Britney Spears uh, shaves her head.
1: Sir Terry Wogan apologises after announcing that the wrong act had been chosen to represent the UK at Eurovision. Remember this one well. Singer Cindy Almuzny was initially announced as the winner, when it was in fact Scooch who had been chosen to fly the flag for the public. Let's see how they get on later in the year. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, the last episode of Grandstand airs on the BBC, and the first episode of Skins airs on
2: E4. Speaking of Channel 4, on Channel 4, Bollywood actress Shilpa Shetty is declared the winner of the fifth series of Celebrity Big Brother. Throughout the series, however, Shilpa had endured prolonged racist abuse from fellow housemates, particularly from model Danielle Lloyd and S-club singer Joe O'Meara as well as further insults from reality star Jade Goody, her partner Jack Tweed, and her mother Jackie Budden.
0: Dark but formative week in definitely. my life. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Lizzie, you'll definitely know, and Andy, maybe your experience growing up near Liverpool was the same, but I'd spent most of my life just surrounded by white people. Like, I hadn't spent much time with Indian kids and indian families which means that i don't think i'd ever seen racism directed towards an indian person to quite the extent that it that it happened to shilpa yeah. on big brother and it was a big like even only being 12 13 years old and having a very tiny understanding of the world it it wasn't even anything to do with the way that big brother necessarily framed the show and how they edited the footage but I knew that something was wrong I knew that there was I remember just being very uncomfortable and I remember not wanting to watch it with my mum because I was embarrassed to be watching it if, if you know what I mean I don't know if you two had a similar kind of experience watching this at the time
1: I didn't watch it at the time. I've I've until last year I'd never seen an episode of Big Brother. So I just heard about it by osmosis. Um and I actually went to school with quite a lot of kids of other races, so it was quite a big deal. Yeah. Um mm. everybody was very much pro Shilpa. Not that anyone anyone wasn't, but um yeah, it was quite the thing that was happening
0: there. Lizzie, did you watch it?
2: Yeah, I did. It was um like you say, it was kind of embarrassing and shameful to witness, but I feel like everybody did watch it. It really did feel like one of those I can't believe they've actually left it in sort of things.
0: Andy, how are the UK album charts looking at this point? I have a few big ones to talk to you about this week, but I have one
1: colossal one to talk to you about this week. The very first number one album of 2007 is in fact the highest selling album of the whole decade. It is back... Back to Black by Amy Winehouse. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Which spends two weeks at number one, uh, initially at least, and then it returns. Um, it went 14 times platinum as of 2023.
0: Uh, Holy balls. Well, within wow. the
1: decade itself, within the decade sales, it was the third highest selling album of the decade, which is impressive considering it only had three years of that decade. But in the whole uh, 21st century, looking back, it is the highest selling album of the 2000s and is the 13th highest-selling album of all time in the UK. Uh, It's brilliant, obviously. It's brilliant. It deserves it. But wow, wow. 14 times platinum. That is colossal. Uh, And only two weeks at number one with that. It was a proper slow burner. It's it's sort of consistently been big ever since, really, back to black, and thoroughly well-deserved. But that is eventually replaced at the top by The View, With Hats Off to the Buskers, which went single (laughs) platinum and was number one for one week. Probably not as good an album as Back to Black. Um, I think that's fair to say. That's then replaced at the top by Not Too Late by Nora Jones, which also went to number one for one week and only went gold, uh, joins that dubious club. So after Back to Black, it was a bit of a quiet week. But then we've got another big, big tastemaker for 2007. It's only Mika with Life in Cartoon Motion, which went to number one for two weeks and went five times platinum, another belter of an album there. If only we had an opportunity to discuss Mika. Amy Winehouse then returned to number one for another week with Back to Black before being toppled by Kaiser Chiefs with their second album, Yours Truly, Angry Mob, which stayed at number one for two weeks and went double platinum. Such a shame we won't get to talk about Kaiser Chiefs All Mika this week. Damn it! Oh, so unfair. But yes, this is the coming of the biggest album
0: of the... Well, not the century, the biggest album of the decade. We're a big fan of back two albums, We are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Lizzie, how are things in the States to open 2007?
2: Just to add, I know we've already harped on quite a bit, but... Of all the people we never get to cover on this show, I think Amy Winehouse might be the saddest. Oh,
1: I know. Definitely. I know. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah.
2: As I've previously mentioned, Irreplaceable by Beyonce was the US Christmas number one for 2006. And it stayed at number one until the 24th of February, when it was finally knocked off the top spot by Nelly Furtado and her single, Say It Right.
0: Mm. Oh. It, it, yeah. Yeah.
2: It was the third single from her album, Loose, and was her second single to reach number one in America. It stayed at number one for one week and was eventually certified four times platinum, but sadly only got to number 10 in the UK. Stupid British public. (laughs) (laughs) After that, Justin Timberlake returned to number one with What Goes Around, Ellipses Comes Around. It was his third consecutive number one hit from Future Sex Love Sounds, and it stayed at number one for one week, eventually being certified platinum. Back here in the UK, it peaked at number four, while Take That were at number one with Shine. More on that later. And finally, for singles this week, American rapper Mims scored a number one hit with his debut single, This Is Why I'm Hot. It was (laughs) the lead single from his debut album, Music Is My Saviour. Yeah, I know. And it stayed at number one for two weeks. It was certified double platinum in the US... But it only got to number 18 in the UK later this year.
1: This is one of those where I, I mean I do trust you, Lizzie. But th- this is one of those where sometimes I think you've just made that up. Surely you've just made that up. <laughs> Mims at number one. What? The not familiar M. with Mims. Not familiar. Isn't it the um?
0: This is why. This is why. This is why I'm hot. This is why. Yeah. I'm, that's yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard uh, it. In my see, life. they really got into snap, and we didn't. We weren't that big on Snap. The best that we had was Soldier Boy. But they had like, I mean, Laffy Taffy was huge (laughs) over there. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, And this is why I'm hot. And there's all sorts of other ones like that.
2: So over to albums. So we've got Hip Hop Is Dead by Naz, which spent one week at number one, peaked at number 68 in the UK. We have 21 by Omarion. One week at number one, got to number 24 in the UK. Somehow beating Naz, I don't know. Then we have Dreamgirls Music from the Motion Picture. (laughs) Two weeks at number one, ineligible for the main UK charts, but got to number two on the Soundtracks chart. Then we have Daughtry by Daughtry. Two weeks at number one, got to number 13 in the UK. Next up is Late Night Special by Prissy Ricky. One week at number one, failed to chart in the UK. Mm -hmm. Then we have Not Too Late by Nora Jones. Three weeks at number one as Andy mentioned, also hit number one in the UK. And finally this week for albums, we have Infinity on High by Fall Out (laughs) Boy. Got to number one for one week. Got to number three in the UK. And that's it for me.
0: All right, then. Thank you both very much. Thank you for your patience, everybody. We are now going to get to the first new number one of 2007 of course the first number one was leona lewis who stayed at number one for four weeks and three of those weeks were in 2007 so the first new number one is this
2: i want to talk to you
1: Try a little
0: Grace
2: mm-hmm.
1: I've got it to Tim. I could be
0: brown, I could be blue, I could be be Released as the second single from his debut studio album, titled Life in Cartoon Motion, Grace Kelly is Mika's second single overall to be released in the UK, and his first to reach number one. However, as of 2024, it is his last. Grace Kelly first entered the UK chart at number three, reaching number one during its second week on the chart, knocking Leona Lewis off the top spot. It stayed at number one for five weeks. Across its five weeks atop the chart, it sold 246,000 copies. Along the way, it beat competition from Same Jeans by The View, Too Little Too Late by Jojo, Exceder by Mason, This Ain't The Scene, It's An Arms Race by Fallout Boy, The Prayer by Block Party, Ruby by Kaiser Chiefs, and I Wanna Love You by Akon and Snoop Dogg. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Grace Kelly fell one place to number two, By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 49 weeks. The song is currently officially certified two times platinum, so double platinum in the UK as of 2024. Andy, kick us off with Mika. Well, dear listener, I want to talk to you. The last time we (laughs) talked, Mr. Smith,
1: you reduced me to tears. I promise you it won't happen again. Sorry, just have to let that theatrical side out there because it's Mika, of course I have to let the theatrical side out, that's what he's all about okay. uh, oh, isn't this wonderful, isn't this wonderful I've been so looking forward to Mika arriving on the scene Um One of the highest compliments I can pay to Mika in general already at the start is that although this is like right up there and is absolutely brilliant and I've got nothing but praise for it, it's not even my favourite Mika song, it's not even my favourite off-life in cartoon motion, that would be Love Today, which I think is just the total complete package as a pop song, but this is just glorious! I mean there's so much to unpack with this, First of all, the the whole story behind it and the subject matter of what this is, where Mika had been plugging away, trying to get a record deal under any kind of persona or any kind of sound or genre or style for quite a few years without success, and just sort of wrote this in frustration of like, look, I will do anything. I will do anything. Just sign me. I will make myself... I will paint myself purple. Um, I will do anything, you know, to get a record deal, and... I like songs like that. I like sort of songs about the industry that are then cheekily used as a lead single. Um, but yeah, it's, it's done with this kind of quirky, almost like vaudeville style to it, where it's like there's a lot of really old reference points in there, like Grace Kelly, who a lot of kids, including me, wouldn't have even heard of at the time. Like, it's a really old reference point. And all the clips from the old movies that Grace Kelly's in as well, it's just um, like a really new viewpoint but not new in a vacuum and that's the other wonderful part about this is that i obviously had a really big monologue last year about um scissor sisters and what they meant to me and how great and validating it felt to me as a kid to have something like that being big and mainstream in the charts and although this is very different it does still sit in that alternative queer kind of space and i think without that kind of and having been set a few months earlier by Scissor Sisters, you wouldn't really have the door as open for Mika, I don't think. I certainly don't think one connects directly to the other, but I think we're in a world now where this kind of flamboyant, slightly off-kilter, slightly unhinged view of pop music um, with a very queer sensibility and a very kind of flamboyant streak to it, that's like what people are going for at the moment. Um And that's just wonderful. It's really, really wonderful for that to be capitalized on. And I think Mika, in general, goes further with that. That I think one of the very highest compliments, again, that I I keep saying that, but I've got a lot of compliments for Mika. But one of the very highest compliments I can give to Mika is that he really made a genuine contribution to normalizing flamboyant non-masculine male music across the mainstream that i think it 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 this is music that like the chavy lads in the playground and the mean girls and your dad and your granddad could like all love and it not be taboo to love this and the reason for that is just cuz the quality of the music is so so good boy, does he know how to write a song. Like, they're just so full of hooks. They're so full of brilliant vocal acrobatics. They're so full of joy that you can't help but get swept up in them. And Grace Kelly is, you know, the shining example, one of the strongest debut singles I can really think of, to be honest. But everything on that album, I mean, that album, Life in Cartoon Motion, is just amazing. It's got um, Love Today, Big Girls You're Beautiful, Lollipop, Happy Ending like so many songs almost every song on that before I sat down and listened to the album last year for the first time in ages, I found myself thinking God I know every song on this like not even through listening to the album I know every song on this due to osmosis like all of these songs were everywhere um it's it's really a phenomenon that I can't really recall with any other artist where almost everything on the album really got cut through and penetrated because people were just so interested in Mika. And again, that's because he's something completely different, something really alternative, who's exciting as an artist. And sitting in that place as someone who's really opening doors and really normalising things in the mainstream, that's just something to be incredibly proud of. Um, as for this song, I think it's just absolutely brilliant. My my one and only complaint about it, and it's the only one, is that I think it's a little bit short, a little bit brief. I think it could go further and go even bigger and even more bananas. Uh, but that's just me wanting more of this. And as you can see, I've got nothing but praise for it. So to see it clocking in at like just about three minutes, I'm like, oh, give me a little bit more, give me a little bit more. But it's so confident, it's so different, it's so fun, um, it has so much to say, and it is so full of content that um, I, I will certainly be putting this in the vault for sure. And it's an absolute cracker of an opening to 2007, and a real icon of an era. So it's absolutely wonderful. Um, but in the style of the song, after each chorus of taught, after each chorus, of course, I'm going to hand over to Lizzie now. It's just with the simple statement of, getting angry doesn't solve anything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Lizzie, what about you for Grace Kelly? Yeah, I don't think I can better that. Um, I agree that I think Sister Sister's kind of paved the way for this, but I also think it's an example of another phenomenon which I mentioned to you both in the group chat, which is. The January number one. Mm. It's this kind of period in at the beginning of the year where things are a bit quiet. And so something like this can kind of sneak into number one. You don't see it as much anymore. But even then, saying that at the time of recording, the number one is um, stick season by Noah Cahan, who I don't think has had a hit before then. No. So yeah. it's proof that this sort of thing can still happen. But yeah, we've had this. We had When the Sun Goes Down last year. There's surely other examples of these kind of, not necessarily unusual, but unexpected number ones kind of sneaking in. And I like that. I like that these more underrated stars get a chance to shine before all the big stars come back and have their big summer hits. Like, more on that later this year. But yeah, I love this i think it's very colorful and expressive in a way that i think is quite rare for number ones in this century particularly going forward where it all does feel like it's sort of built to fit a formula this feels like an expression of the artist and their identity which yeah i i really treasure this because you don't get it very often Um, I wrote a note here. It's like if Killer Queen by Queen was written from the perspective of the Killer Queen. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously it references, you know, Freddie and Grace Kelly. Yeah, I agree with you, Andy, that it kind of references points that aren't necessarily obvious in a modern context. In a way, it's kind of like, you know how Paul McCartney used to do those like vaudeville type songs? Like Honey Pie, where it wasn't fashionable, but that was kind of the point. As in, he he just very much liked this style, so he did it. And with Mika, it seems like very much the same thing. It's his way of expressing himself and distancing himself from the crowd. And what better way to do that as well than with that falsetto? With that falsetto, I mean. Like, I will say, as much as it's very ostentatious, I think it's quite human as well, the fact that he just about hits the note i think if it was so like perfect and pristine you'd get something like i don't know sugar baby love by the rubets where it's oh. like the sound a biblically accurate angel would make before they devour you <laughs> i think it, you do get the sense of yeah someone putting it on for show and it's impressive but it's also like oh you <laughs> you're flying too close to the sun there but you like that about it it feels honest and it feels genuine and it's very pure. It's a it's a shame we don't get another Mika number one because I think at this point I would have seen Mika and this song and thought, give it 10 years, he's going to be like the biggest star in Britain. <laughs> and it never was to be, but I'm glad we at least got this. Like you, Andy, I'm putting this straight into the vault. I love it.
0: Humphrey, we're leaving. <laughs> I'm always going to have a slight resentment of sugar baby love because it kept this town big enough for both of us. Oh, off Number one, uh, no. back in 1974. Um, but it's funny that we're mentioning sparks and queen and stuff like that. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, yeah, I agree. This is sort of magnificent. I think it's quite an achievement actually to make a song that is about so much emotional turmoil and confusion. Sounds so joyous and Mm. direct, and as you were saying, exuberant and and ostentatious. Um, When we covered Scissor Sisters, I remember having a little moment where I couldn't quite think of the word, that I I wanted to think of a word that kind of summed up My My Chemical Romance and the the, the Scissor Sisters songs together. And I think the word I was actually looking for was pride. There was, the, I think we, we were sort of close with like you know f- flamboyant or you know wh- whatever we said, but it is it is it is prideful, and I think this is also yeah. prideful as well. I'm glad you mentioned Scissor Sisters Andy first because um, I put them in my notes too. That there is a Scissor Sisters flair to this in the way that it tries to find the good in the bad, and that makes me think that Mika's label eventually we're kind of happy to see this and happy to hear it and happy to push it out there after the success that I don't feel like dancing had already had because the song obviously as we've kind of alluded to it's about Mika being told by a record label executive that be more this be more that you know like be I think even it gets told you know more like Craig David like what do label executives know anything? Instead, Mika decides to just be himself, and this comes out, just this loud, theatrical marvel <laughs> of, a, of a pop hit, you know, it's so rare, even, I think, past the 70s, to get something that is just so, as I was mentioning Sparks and Queen before, something so glam, because this is unabashedly itself in the best, in the way that a lot of the best glam really was. You know, maybe I'm maybe more nostalgic for this than I should be because of how poor quite a lot of 2010s pop is, I think. But there were points during the 2010s where I would have happily sacrificed a toe for pop music that was as consistently well written and lovingly composed and as personal as this. You know, you can really feel this grow outwards from its original demos that were no doubt worked out on the piano, I think you can sort of get get that feeling. Mika said that he interpolated bits of the Barber of Seville into this as well, like bits of that opera. You know, this is basically a theatre kid being let loose on the charts. And it's easy to see why it was the number one for so long, because I think its attitude is infectious. And I think it proves that people can connect with this kind of stuff when it is put in front of them, like in January, where January is a known dead period for, like, you know, labels just don't put anything out because no one's got any money because everybody knows how long January feels, payment-wise, you're waiting for that next paycheck to come through, and so nobody releases anything in January, except somebody like Mika, who might be looking to just sneak in and land a number one, because he doesn't get a number one after this, Um, he has a few top tens, uh, but it's all kind of over by sort of like 2009, I remember hearing We Are Golden on the radio precisely once, and I remember exactly where I was. I was on holiday in Ayrshire with my parents, and we parked up next to the beach on the seafront in air, and I heard it come on the radio. It was a brand-new song by me, Kurtz called We Are Golden. I remember listening to it thinking, yeah, it's fine, and then I never heard it again. Like, it made it into the top 10, but then it was out and gone, and none of his other songs bothered the top 40 after this. Um... I think it's because people got a little bit... Like, the public at large got a little bit irritated with just how sunny he was and how... I I do like Love Today and I kind of like Happy Ending, Big Girl, um, the other one, Lollipop. Like, I, I, I don't mind them necessarily, but I think that after... You know, it just... I think... When you put yourself out there that firmly, that Mika did, and then I just think this leans a little too far. Like, Mika, this song, like his future songs, it leans a little bit too far into that after so many. Me- There's not a lot of variety in atmosphere with Mika, I don't think, with the songs that he released. Apart from maybe Relax, Take It Easy, that was, you know, that was, but that was his lead single and it didn't go very well. And so I think there was a bit of a rethink. Um, just stuff like with the ka-ching, nah, at the end of the song, um, and as more and more singles came out, like I think they're all decent in their own like own right, but I think they take the wrong lesson from this, where they kind of dial down the craftsmanship, but they dial up the kind of kitschy, cutesy TV show side of of Mika's of, of this song and of the stuff that Mika does, which makes this like. It, it, it's not a fluke, exactly, but you kind of know what I mean. I feel like it's, like, the best example of what Mika can do. And unless you're a pop head who really wants to get into, like, more stuff, I, I, don't, I don't think I would ever really encourage people to go through life in cartoon motion if they're not prepared for, like, just... It's the same. It's just as bright. It's, it's a sunny day and a smiley yeah. face constantly um but i am glad that that this was number one because it is this is wonderful and warm and i think it's a shame that we don't get to chat about love today which is another one i like not as much as this but those two together i feel like if you just said just those two that's everything you need to understand mika um I you know I'd have no problem with just those two. Just wanted to make a little shout out to Lollipop, which didn't get into the top forty, but that was bigger at my school than this was. Because I remember throughout the year, Mika ringtones were a really big deal. Like everybody Bluetoothing Mika ringtones to each other, and Lollipop and Happy Ending were the two that everybody in my at my school would like send into each other. And then there was a point where somebody's phone would accidentally go off in class and nobody knew whose it was because everybody had lollipop as, the, <laughs> as their ringtone. Um, I don't know why that was the big, the bigger one than Grace Kelly, at least at my school. Um, but I think, yeah, people at my kids bought into him, I think. But just kids isn't quite enough to get to, uh, to number
1: one. I have one of the things that I would be really remiss if I didn't say about this one. Uh, okay. Like, the main role that Grace Kelly has in my life is that, you know, we all have our default karaoke song that if someone asks you to do karaoke, then, like, for me, it's a little respect by Eurasia, but with my husband, it's always this. So I've heard this song sung <laughs> live by my husband, like, dozens of times. Um, so that's the main role that this song has in my life. So, yeah, I'd be very remiss not to mention that bit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just have a bit of... um. A theory actually. Do you reckon he was just a little bit too late? Um
1: hmm. I don't think so. No. I th- I think it like I say, I... it was in just the right place because I do think the environment was there from Scissor Sisters and a couple of other acts and the kind of the indie movement in general to kind of let people sneak in who might otherwise not have snuck in. So I think a few years earlier or a few years later, it's hard to know obviously, but I, I think this was his best shot. Around now, yeah. I think I think this was the right time. But what do you mean by that? Like, what's the case for him being a bit late?
2: Well, I think Scissor Sisters were kind of big before that. It's just that they only had a, a number one in 2006. Yeah. And there was also a lot more of this kind of glam pop around a couple of years ago. I'm thinking things like Some Girls by Rachel Stevens mm. and like Goldfrap. Goldfrap, yeah. Yeah, whereas, you know, give it a year, two years and it's all going to be samey club bangers and moody synth pop and mika doesn't really fit into that the same way
0: yeah that's fair that's fair yeah Hmm. i i think that mika was slightly too late in the sense that like by his second album i think people moved on very quickly i think we're about to enter a, a period of like significant upheaval and change oh yeah Uh, the 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 charts in 2009 compared to 2007 are virtually unrecognizable pop moves like that it really moves fast something i don't know what happens but well actually i know what happens lady gaga happens but like it just there is like a seismic event coming and it means that on the other side of that seismic event artists like me could try to sneak in and go hey remember me from like two years ago Wow, two years ago feels like a long time, Mika, right now. Um, sorry. You know, and so, you know, We Are Golden gets top ten because it's a comeback single, but I don't think people really bought into, what was it, The Boy Who Knew Too Much, yeah, yeah. Uh, the album. Yeah, it was, which was a bit of a shame, really, but I think that and that's more an indictment of where pop heads in the you early years I... of the 2010s rather than Mika himself.
2: I'm just looking at this episode. You know what I think happens? America. You look at this episode and it's it's all British acts, right? And then give it to, to 2009. And it yeah. is largely dominated by, you know, your Gargas, your Beyoncés, your Rihannas. Mm. Like you say, there is a kind of shift that happens. It means that sort of not top tier British acts kind of get left in the dust. And it's a bit of a shame.
1: There's only one way to round off this segment,
2: Kachinga!
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we will move swiftly on to the second track this week, which is this. <laughs> So little else this is Ruby by Kaiser Chiefs released as the lead single from the band's second studio album titled yours truly angry mob Ruby is Kaiser Chiefs fifth single overall to be released in the UK and their first to reach number one however as of 2024 it is their last Ruby first entered the UK chart at number two reaching number one during its third week on the chart knocking Nika off the top spot It stayed at number one for one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 38,000 copies. Beating competition from Lil Star by Kelis and CeeLo Green, which climbed to number three. How to Save a Life by The Fray, which climbed to number five. The Sweet Escape by Gwen Stefani and Akon, which climbed to number seven. Catch You by Sophie Ellis-Bexter which climbed to number 8 and Shine by Take That which climbed to number 10 When it was knocked off the top of the charts Ruby dropped one place to number 2 By the time it was done on the charts it had been inside the top 100 for 43 weeks The song is currently officially certified two times platinum so double platinum in the UK as of 2024 Lizzie, uh, Lizzie, Lizzy, Lizzie, Lizzie, How are we uh, with <laughs> Kaiser Chiefs.
2: I never really got into the Kaiser Chiefs at the time, because I didn't really have a need for them. Like, I was already into a lot of the old British rock bands that influenced them, like the Blurs and Bowies and XTCs. And because I was a bit of a snob back then, I saw them as a sort of British rock continuity band who didn't have much of an individual identity of their own. A lot like Oasis, I thought they were maybe... Too derivative of their influences, and I found that a little bit difficult to look past. But in hindsight, I probably should have devoted more attention to them because, yeah, this is pretty good. It's got a lot of the usual like modern rock tropes, like the big sing along football terrace style chorus, the sort of Chelsea Dagger type thing. But it's got a pretty solid like Stranglers esque groove underpinning the whole thing. It is very loud and infectious but it's energetic and they kind of sell the sort of slightly detached terry hall style lyrics in the verses even though it is just a song about unrequited love ultimately i think yeah they they do enough to pull it off i don't have an awful lot to say about it i just think yeah it's pretty solid and i'm sorry for not giving them more of a chance um I know, Andy, you were a big fan of them at the time, right? A huge fan, huge fan, yeah. So, so I'm curious to see where you come up from this, because, like, they're, is this their second album? It is, Yeah. I'm going to hand over to you in the slightly awkward way. Uh, Andy, what do you think?
1: Oh, you missed such an opportunity to repeat what Rob did and cue me in with, Andy, 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 Andy! <laughs> <laughs> um I come at this from a really difficult point because I was a huge fan of Kaiser Chiefs and I remain a huge, huge fanboy of their first album. Um, but this song is not very representative of what I liked about them. Um, this is... It's it's not a fluke kit, but it's definitely like it's a hit because it's the lead single off their second album, and that's basically mm. it. To be honest, um, I was an absolutely huge Kaiser Chiefs fan. I think of the absolute glut of British bands trying to cash in on the indie movement in the mid-noughties. I think if you put it on a scale of like the very worst being, oh, I don't know, who would we say is the very worst? like the the kooks maybe at the very worst end of it. And then Ooh, in the middle... The twang. All the twang. <laughs> yeah. The enemy. and then in, Yeah, the enemy. In the middle, you've yeah. got, like, the Fratellis or something, and then Key in quite high up. And then at the very top, very top, I would put Kaiser Chiefs as, like, one of the best bands to come out of the mid-noughties, really, because that first album, Employment, um, it's kind of similar to Life in Cartoon Motion, fully enough, in that there are so many songs off it that were really, really successful. Um, some of which, without even being singles, like if you look at like media of that era, you're hearing Kaiser Chiefs everywhere. That first album's got "Everyday I Love You Less and Less," "I Predict a Riot," "Modern Way," "Na Na 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 Na," "Oh My God," "Born to Be a Dancer," "Saturday Night." These were all very, very well-known songs that were out there, um, and for good reason. They were really, really catchy for starters. They were really good songs that had really interesting instrumentation that kind of combined like sort of homemade almost like the clash kind of a sound with synths and weirdness and um, they had really kind of verbose lyrics that were quite odd and used quite strange vocabulary sometimes um i think ricky wilson was a great frontman who had quite a lot of charisma about him um and so i absolutely adored that first album and i still think it's brilliant to this day um But then they do take a downturn after that first album. They never quite recapture the magic. And this is good. Like, it is really good, I think. I think this is a really nice lead single. But I know that this came in at a pretty late stage of the album because they needed a lead single. Um, The other songs of this album... I mean, there are some good ones that you could sort of see fitting in Unemployment, like one called Heat Dies Down. And um, there's a few others. But, like, the, the highlights from this album... Or where they try and expand their sound and do something a bit different. There's a song called "Love's Not a Competition," but I'm winning, which is probably the best one off this album. Um, which I, you might know Rob because it often quite show it's quite often shows up on lists of songs where the cover is better than the original because Paramore did a cover of "Love's Not a Competition," but I'm winning.
0: As soon as you mentioned "Love's Not a Competition," <laughs> there was a there was a thing in the centre of my body that went up. Yeah. Like that can't need to you know that meme of that boy who's straining really hard and his <laughs> veins are showing. I was like, don't mention it, don't mention the cover.
1: <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for. But uh, no, it was um, no, it, it is a lovely cover, but like their second album they kind of expand their sound a bit and they have a lot of songs that are quite good but they're not very commercial like the title track of Angry Mob. Um and like Love's Not a Competition but I'm winning. Where they're very nice but they're not the um kind of mod party that they were on the first album. Where in the first album you can easily see virtually all of the songs being sung by Paul Weller. You know, it's 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 like a sort of modern update of the mod movement really, so I love what they were about at first. And they were the first band that I ever chose to go and see live. I say chose to, because the first band I actually saw live was when my friend dragged me along to see The Offspring in 2004. Um, oh, wow. And that was all right. But I, I chose to go and see The Kaiser Chiefs, um, and it was absolutely an absolutely amazing time. But no, anyway, to this song, I really do like Ruby. I think it's got, a obviously, great hook. Um, and I do like that they still have those kind of odd lyrics that just... They just read really strangely. Like due to lack of interest, tomorrow was cancelled. Is one that I always quite like. Um, it's just a very, very well put together pop rock song that you can easily see why it caught on. And it's borrowing quite a lot still from sixties and seventies bands. I think there's quite a clear Kinks influence in this one actually. Um, yeah. There's there's just there's, there's a lot of showing your work with this song and with Kaiser Chiefs in general, but. This one's not my favourite of them. Like I've, The nostalgia around Kaiser Chiefs that I feel in general is very, very heavy, um, and so I'll always love hearing this. And it is, it is a really nice song, I think, but I think if we were covering something like Oh My God or Every Day I Love You Less and Less, then they would be like 10 out of 10 for me. Um, yeah, just everybody go and re-listen to Employment. It's so good. Ignore the fact that every song features some sort of uh, but other than that, um, yeah, just brilliant first album. Yeah, um, Funnily enough, when I, I don't know, for those of us who follow me on, well not follow me, for those of us who follow us on Twitter, um, last year I decided to review every single album that I own. Um, and we've had two this week, which I gave five stars out of five. Life and Cartoon Motion and Employment. I gave both of them ah. five stars. Yours Truly Angry Mob was like three, unfortunately. So to answer your question oh. in a very long-winded fashion, Lizzie, um, yes, I was a huge fan of them, but this is not particularly representative of them, unfortunately. But I do
0: still really oh, like interesting. this. Yeah. Andy, it's strange. Have you been reading my notes or have <laughs> I been reading yours? Um, yeah, this is good. Pretty good. Um, I always think, like you, Andy i think that kaiser chiefs are are at their best when they're not like this i i prefer them when they're slightly stranger things like yeah yeah, every day i love you listen let's and oh my god like they had this quite slightly quirky fidgety brand of you know the 2000s post brit pop indie rock thing when they really Mm. allowed themselves to kind of be that way i always thought that things like Oh my god, and like things like this old backstreet dentist working a shirt with your name tag on, drifting apart like a plate tectonic, etc. etc. That was the kind, that was the side of them I preferred. But it feels like for this second album, they kind of got refined, if you know what I mean. And it means that you get stuff like Ruby, which is, you know, it's a good showing of their skills and is basically a money machine with the Ruby, 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 because it's like proper sing along chorus where everybody it's the kind of chorus that everybody can get on board with it's been sung at festivals and pubs and in living rooms and everywhere you know because everybody knows it you know and I've always liked the how the the the, the, the sugary kind of like power pop synth line afterwards the uh, uh, you know it's that's very it's very 80s power pop that which' which I'm, I'm I am kind of into but I just find this to be a bit upper mid table kaiser chiefs yeah of those first two albums like it's decent it'll probably qualify for the europa league but it's not going to you know it's not going to win the title if you know what i mean it's yeah, just like kind Man of like city yeah hey well um <laughs> more like brighton at the moment i suppose um but i think it's also a great songwriting decision to bring the lead guitar lick back in under the second half of the chorus. And I've always, like you, Andy, loved that lyric that due to lack of interest, tomorrow is cancelled. Um, and I do think that going through life without a Kaiser Chiefs number one would have been a bit unfair. Cause they were a staple of this particular period. They were a staple mm. of this of this of this era. And they did they did deserve this as well, because if only for the amount of t- grafting that they had to do beforehand as well because normally you get you know a, a quite a lot of bands it, the, the average time span is like four years between starting as a band getting signed and getting your first hit you know you spend the first year rehearsing and playing a few gigs the second gig making yourself tighter the third year looking for a label and then the fourth year you go over the top and that's it but Kaiser Chiefs have been around in some form under different names since about 1996. So Mm. if you think like that's eight years of grafting between being in a band and getting the you know the the one with uh, employment, and then another two years after that, three years after that to get a number one, you know it's a long you know long time. And so I think you know fair enough. They are a bit of a not exactly a rags to riches thing, but you know they. They deserved a moment in the sun, and they got it, and they took it, and that Ruby is very well executed um, for what it is. I will say, though, that, like, Kaiser Chiefs, as they are in this kind of mould, and the person that Ricky Wilson becomes, I find it very hard to draw the line between something like Every Day I Love You Less and Less and the, the person singing that song being a judge on The Voice ten years later. I always yeah. find there's a, there is a disconnect where, like, he completely cleans up his public image. You know, if you look on the front cover of Yours Truly Angry Mob, he's got his hair down, his fringe is down, and his beard's a bit unruly, and, you know, that sort of thing. And then you look at him on the voice, and it's like he's got a very Cliff Richard 50s hairstyle. His beard is very well cropped. And you can tell that at some point he pays a stylist and it's the start of him becoming the acceptable face of the voice, alongside you know Tom Jones and Will I Am. It's yeah. <laughs> just so strange that like he was elevated to that kind of uh, to that kind of status.
2: In a way, um, 2007 is a bit of a crossroads for British indie rock. You either go two ways with your difficult second album, you do more of the same, and it all kind of falls a bit flat. Or you sell out and go full pop and you make it big. And the Kaiser Chiefs made it big.
1: I just have a few extra things to add on this um, that I forgot to say. One of which was when you were talking about lyrics that you liked, um, well, but I have to mention my favourite ever, which is Pneumothorax is a word that is long. That's, um, <laughs> that's a great lyric. This. And the other thing I have to plug, which I forgot to mention was talking about um, employment, is. Anyone who's got time, I cannot recommend enough their live dVD enjoyment um because it's a live d v d in the loosest sense. It's part like live performances for about twenty minutes of it, and the rest is a kind of made on the fly parody documentary about Leeds narrated by Bill Nye, um which is absolutely <laughs> bananas um and is written in this kind of Steve Coogan weird kind of acerbic style and it's genuinely hilarious and it's not a live DVD at all it's kind of like the Kaiser Chiefs do comedy Um, I can't recommend it highly enough because that's what they were like back then they were just genuinely very strange Um, so yeah, I'm glad to have been able to pay tribute to them Um, but you can kind of stop after the first
0: album and that live DVD Alright then, we will move on to our third and final song this week which is this
2: You're such a big start to me, you're everything I want to be, but you're stuck in a hole, and I want you to get out, I don't know what there is to see, but I know it's time for you to leave, we're all just pushing along, trying to figure it out, I-
0: Alright, this is Shine by Take That, released as the second single from the group's fourth studio album titled Beautiful World. Shine is Take That's 20th single overall to be released in the UK and their 10th to reach number one. It's a decent hit rate and it's not the last time that we'll be coming to Take That on this podcast. Shine first entered the UK chart at number 83, reaching number one during its sixth week on the chart, knocking the Kaiser Chiefs off the top spot. It stayed at number one for two weeks. In its first week at number one, it sold 41,000 copies, beating competition from Standing in the Way of Control by The Gossip, which climbed to number seven, Miracle by Cascada, which climbed to number eight, and What Goes Around Comes Around by Justin Timberlake. And in week two, it sold 27 copies, beating competition from The Creeps by Camille Jones and the Grand, which climbed to number 7, and Say It Right by Nelly Furtado, which climbed oh. to number 10. I know, that's a shame. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Shine fell three places to number 4. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 60 weeks! The song is currently officially certified platinum in the UK as of 2024. Wow, songs are staying around in the charts for a long time. Ever since, ever since downloads. Ever since the pivot to downloads, I feel like songs are staying in the charts forever. Um, Andy, take that. Shine, how are we?
1: I am, I am very much of the same sort of comments about this as Lizzie did about Ruby in that it's just, it's just a nice song and that's just sort of it really that's all I have to say about it um, I think it's it does a really good thing of secure and take that long term future in that it's completely different to patience um, in every sense it's kind of like right we've done a ballad now let's do something up uptempo um, we've done a ballad now let's do something up tempo. we've done a Gary feature now let's do a Mark feature um, we've done something that's kind of Morose and heartfelt, now let's do something really cheery. It's kind of showing the versatility, and both Patience and Shine are really well written songs, they're really fun, um, so it secures their long term future really well. As for this, I mean, the main thing that surprises me about it is that it came out when it did, because to me, this is just like a summer song. It's like the most summary of songs that when I think back to like summer 2007, it would probably be this song in amongst there somewhere. Um, so I'm really surprised it came out when it did, but that's just a random thought. Um there are a few criticisms I have of it. Um one is that I just I've never bought Mark Owen as a frontman, to be honest. I think his voice is just a bit <laughs> you know Let me know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that matters to me. Yeah, so um, just I don't know. It reminds you a little bit of Ashley Peacock. Where a lot of the time I'm like, <laughs> stop being so hard on yourself, Uncle Fred. Yes. You
2: know? um, <laughs> oh God.
1: So I mean, I'm being mean, but if, if we're going into because we've we've talked about two artists so far who you know have got by on quite a lot of charisma with Mika and with Ricky Wilson in the early days, and then you've got Little Marco, and he's doing his best. Um, <laughs> but it's a really, really well written song. It once again shows off Gary Barlow's intense talent for bridges. That the bridge is the best bit about this song. Once again, there. Let me know, yeah. Let me know, yeah. You're all that matters to me. It just really takes you away into the last act of the song, um, which is lovely. Um, the main thing I remember about this song is the Morrison's advert. But like, I think to a lot of people, yeah. this is just mm-hmm. the Morrison's song. Um, yeah, and they've used it many times since. But the the initial period of it, I remember, is those stupid adverts where celebrities kept bumping into each other in Morrison's. Where, I remember one where Anton Deck bumped into Lulu, like in the veg aisle or something. Like I remember um, Phil Jupiter's actually joking about this on Buzzcocks about how funny those adverts were. That there's one where um, Alan Hansen looks at some bread, picks one up, and goes, "Oh, great value," and throws it into. The jolly. <laughs> And all of this is to the tune of Shine. So, um, yeah, I mean, I always think of Morrison's when this song comes on. But, yeah, it's a really, really nice song. And it also has that one bit, the compliment moment, which is the stop, stop being so hard on yourself. Yes. Ah. Yeah, Um, which is a lovely, lovely bit. Yeah, um, it's just a really, really nice song.
0: (laughs) It's funny you should mention Morrison's because on the Rate Your Music page, for shine, we take that in the comments over on the left-hand side. One of the one of the comments in big capital letters is, "Right now at Morrison's, we've got a two for one offer, aren't you <laughs> <pressed?"> <laughs> Oh, hello,
1: Lulu. What you got there? You got some curry, have you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, at the time, I absolutely loved this, and I have been known to profess my love for it in recent years. But honestly. Right next to Patience, I just find this to be less emotionally resonant these days, despite the volume at which it is performed. I think it's just less impactful. Like, like, don't get me wrong, Like, I still enjoy this a lot. I like that this week has been defined by bright sunny positive pop rock songs all three of them they all wear their hearts on their sleeves and they're about identity and love and friendship you know i'm always going to have time for rock songs that aren't all you know macho and masculine and are about things like you know it's just one friend like this one saying to another hey i love you hope you feel better soon you know that kind of motivational poster kind of uh, anthem if you will and it is a good display of take that's strengths as a unit where you've got you know barlow on piano howard and jason doing some lovely backing vocals mark doing his best up front <laughs> even if and this is something that was pointed out to me by a friend of the podcast edward thomas and I have not been, un- I've not been able to unhear it since. It's so funny in the first verse yeah. when Mark says, you're everything I want to be. And it, like the, the, the vocals, <laughs> yeah. like, whatever yeah. vocal smoothing they've done on his voice just makes it sound like someone's like pinged his vocal cord. At the same time, it's just, you're everything I want to be. <laughs> it's like <laughs> something you can really replicate. Yeah, it's really, really kind of silly. And the other thing that I kind of hold against this is that it's, and I don't mean this as, it's going to sound like a massive insult when it's not, but it's, and I I mean that it's more of a massive insult to another band, but like, this sounds a bit ELO to me. And I've, I like ELO. I like them to a point, but I've always just found them to be like, the, the globier, like, too sugary end of things that Paul McCartney wrote. In the second half of the Beatles' career, it just—it feels like they take and like there's like bits of wings in there, and it just—they're just a little bit rubbery for me. I think if I hear Living Thing on Greatest Hits Radio one more time, I might put my head through the windscreen in the car. Like it just—I feel like if I hear that string section, the it just—I've—I've heard them (laughs) too much over the years. I've heard them far too much over the years, and they're lesser elements have stuck out to me a bit too much over the years and this reminds me a little bit too much of ELO these days for me to be just that totally on board with it I don't necessarily dislike ELO I just find I like them but I find them difficult I just I Jeff Lynn is you could kind of feel it on um uh, the the new Beatles one that like what was that called again now and then that was it that Jeff Lynne's hands had been on it at some point <laughs> well, it just—I just—I find them a bit too saccharine. I think saccharine is the word, and I think that with this, with all the vocal smoothing, this has a similar kind of saccharine quality that I can't quite look past. Um, Lizzie, it sounded like you agreed. How do you feel?
2: <laughs> I mean, you're ignoring the best Yellow song, which is Telephone Line. Is
0: it? Is it about?
2: Well, what do you
1: think it is? Don't bring me down. Love, don't bring me down.
2: Oh, that's a good song. Yeah. yeah. I still prefer Telephone Line, though. There's a sort of longing that always kind of gets me on that. I think it's a nice one.
1: But yeah, for me, Don't, don't bring Me Down and obviously Mr. Blue Sky and um to Stone. I love Tent Stone as
2: well. I'm, I'm kind of sick of Mr. Blue Sky. I'd happily never hear it again.
0: Ah, I'm in the wrong audience here. The thing with like Out of the Blue and Discovery and a new world record and stuff, like my dad loves ELO, and I wish I could love them just as much as he does. But, mm. And... I, Mr. Blue Sky will be played at my dad's funeral, I know that, and so I have a hard time feeling any kind of animus towards that, but it just, it, I, just, I find them, I do like them, it's really strange to come at it like this, I do like them, but I will always be stopped from loving them, because there's just this slightly, it's just this slightly rubbery, bubblegum like not yeah, bubblegum pot, but like actual physical bubblegum stickiness to <laughs> um, yeah, a plasticky yeah. whiff. I know what you mean. Yes. Yeah. But sorry. Yes. Uh, shine, take that. How, how are we?
2: I mean, I'm kind of bringing that up because I don't have much to say about this. I have very similar feelings on this one as I had about patience in that. I think it is similarly well-crafted as a pop song, but it's too polished to be striking in any way. And, There's also a similar quasi-religious thing going on in this, (laughs) and the chorus is arguably even more blatant about it. You know, your time is coming, don't be late. (laughs) And, yeah, I agree with you. Um, Mark isn't as strong a vocalist as Gary Barlow, and the sweetening they've done, his voice makes him sound ridiculous. I think if they had just left his voice as quite open and raw, I would have liked that a lot more. I thought that would be more kind of honest. But instead, they've done, like you say, Rob, this horrible thing where it sounds like someone twanging an elastic band. It doesn't suit him at all. And the fact that this is such a personal song about Robbie Williams and his battle with depression... Yeah. I almost don't buy that because it sounds so impersonal and the fact that it has lingered around on Morrison's adverts for the best part of a decade now just kind of solidifies that for me. It's, so it is a song dedicated to a friend but it could be a song about anything really. It's, there's something kind of too polished and therefore not affecting in any way that I just can't look past. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I think I actually prefer Patience to this because there's a bit more weight and heft to it, whereas this, it's all kind of too clean. And as much as it's obviously a well-written pop song, it's just not quite enough. Hmm. Mm, I
0: do get that, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, before we go... And before we, um, before we check whether we're going to put anything into the pie hole or the vault, i um, introducing a new feature, and it's called Did Rob Buy It? <laughs> or Did Rob Buy It on iTunes? Yeah, we'll call it that. Um, because this uh, Christmas 2006, I got my first iTunes voucher, and for the next two years, I spent a lot of time buying music on iTunes. Um, so, Grace Kelly by Mika. I bought that. And Ruby by Kaiser Chiefs. I also bought that. I didn't buy Shine because I already had Beautiful World and had ripped it. I did buy Shine. Well, there we go. Th- th- through a couple of us, you know, we have, <laughs> you know, we have bought it. The other other songs I bought um, around this time, I'm, I'm fascinated by my 12-year-old self right now. But So Yeah Yeah by Body Rocks. Um, Stars in Their Eyes, Just Jack. Um, Put Your Hands Up for Detroit, I bought that. Um <laughs> <laughs> I Love You by Ordinary Boys. How to oh. Save a Life by The Fray. Um Raoul by The Automatic. Um Boogie Tonight by Booty Love. So I, yes. I was on the right side there. Same Jeans by The View. Um no. I bought Betty Look Good on the Dance Floor. Um This nice. Ain't a Scene, it's an arms race, Fallout Boy. Um The Saints Are Coming, U2 and Green Day. I didn't buy oh, the geez. single, I bought the video. The video <laughs> <laughs> so I bought the video. Um Crystal Ball by Keane. Uh, Golden Touch by Razorlight, The Prayer by Block Party, the the Big Brother title theme by Mask, <laughs> <laughs> um, Run by Snow Patrol, Ugh. Um, Standing in the Way of Control, Gossip, um, nice. Tribute by Tenacious D. I was one of those kinds of kids. Um, Slam by Pendulum, Golden Scans, Claxons, yes. Clint Eastwood by Gorillas, Perfect and then Exceder by Mason. Um, Love Don't Let Me Go by David Guetta, which I heard for the first time in 17 years on the radio last week. Um, wow. Calm Down Dearest by Jamie T. Club Foot by Kasabian, LSF by Kasabian, Black and White Town by The Doves, Feels Just Like It Should by Jamiroquai, and Run by Celisie Atiaz. They were all on the FIFA 06, FIFA 07 soundtrack. Um, Guns Don't Kill People, Rappers Do. <laughs> Golder looking Chain... Um, Love and Peace or Else by U2, which is strange, because I had that CD, um, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, and Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve. I bought all of those on the 31st of January 2007. (laughs) All on one day? Yeah, all on one day. Jesus Christ. Yeah.
2: Wow. At a cost of, if we're talking like 79p each. Well, uh,
0: unbelievably, some of them were a bit cheaper, and it only came in at like nine quid. Could you believe it? feel like I've just done that Peter Kay joke about Neto, about his friend doing a trolley dash round Neto, piled it up 11 quid, um, and it feels like I've just done that. Uh.
2: <laughs> That's about 15 quid in today's money.
0: And also, we shouldn't finish this episode without saying as well that Mae Muller, the Eurovision entry in 2023 for the UK, she's the little girl in the Grace Kelly video, sat on the piano. Oh! I did not know that. Because wow. her mom was the director.
1: Two years ago, Mika presented Eurovision. Yep. And uh, so... I must say, I was full of compliments for Mika, but oh boy,
0: was he a bad Eurovision host. <laughs> oh, he didn't do well. Just before we go, we're going to check. Grace Kelly by Mika. Andy, is that going in the vault for you? Oh,
2: yes. Humphrey, we're leaving and going straight to the vault. That's the one.
0: <laughs> there we go. <laughs> God, you really made it sound like the, like some woman going off to the bank there. Um, some rich woman. Humphrey, we're off to Morrison's to go shopping with Alan Hansen and Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Grace Kelly, that's going in the vault for me. Um, <laughs> Ruby by the Kaiser Chiefs, I'm not putting that anywhere. Vaulty, uh, vaulty, vaulty, vaulty for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it, that's
1: like right on the edge, I've got to say. It's being tipped over by nostalgia. But what the hell? Arrest me.
2: For me, it's going nowhere. <laughs> All
0: right then, and Shine by take that I'm not putting that anywhere
2: uh, it is
1: going in the vault for me or should I say it's going in the vault Uncle Fred yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's going nowhere for me <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that is it for this week's episode thank you very much for listening and when we come back we'll be, co- uh, we'll be continuing our journey through 2007 oh and it's a short year for episodes this year so we'll be in 2008 before you know it so we'll see you then. Bye bye.
2: See ya.
1: ka <laughs>